Thanks for joining us in our study of the letter to the Galatians. It is in this scripture we're reminded that the gospel is the A to Z of the Christian life. The truth of the gospel, that Jesus is better, should change our thinking and approach to absolutely everything. Cornerstone exists to proclaim and demonstrate Christ in all of life so as to make people perfect in him. Anyone else this morning tired? I am so tired. I I normally, on Sunday, I've said this before, I normally get up at 4 o'clock on Sunday mornings. That's my kind of normal routine. I've done that for years, all my last-minute prep stuff that happens Sunday morning. And I got it before this morning, except my body says that's 3, so I am feeling it today. Do not call me this afternoon, because I will be asleep on my couch. Um, as you know, today is our final sermon here in Galatians. Uh, I really shouldn't call today a sermon. Uh, it's definitely going to be more of a review. We won't be working through a specific text, even though we're going to read one here together in a moment. But... Um, you know, just going to be a little bit of a different kind of Sunday, given the nature of what we're doing here. So it's going to be a little shorter, a little more casual. If you're visiting uh, this morning, thanks for being here, but you need to come back next Sunday to see what a, a typical Sunday is like here at, at Cornerstone. But we're ending a major uh, study series through Paul's letter to the Galatians, and so today's a little different. But we are going to read, uh, begin by reading Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. I thought it'd be fun to kind of end where we started, and then we will go to the Lord in prayer. If you will now, please look at verse 1. Paul writes, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Will you bow your heads with me? Jesus, we do come now and we uh, give our time together this morning to you. I thank you for all that we have seen and learned uh, over the past year and a half in this letter. I pray that you have used it to change us, to make us more like yourself. And as we take just a few moments this morning to maybe just remind ourselves, review some of the things we've seen, to remember some of the major themes and points that have come up along the way. I pray even that you will convict us anew and afresh of these truths, and you will send us out ready to go and live them. Uh, even as we go around your table this morning and we remember your death, I pray that that will be another component of this, where you just take these tangible things, these reminders, and you drive us out to live for you. May we May we not waste our time together this morning. Spirit, work, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned last Sunday, today marks exactly one year and six months that uh, we have been studying the letter to the Galatians. We started on September 11th, 2016. And if my notes are correct, that was also our very first Sunday gathering in two services. It's been a year and a half since we started that. Can you believe it? It's Time has flown by very quickly. Um, as such, you know, it was a time of transition for us as a church family, a time of entering into a new phase of ministry. And so I used that very first sermon in Galatians to remind us of some things that we needed to focus on as we were going into that new phase. I gave us four things that Sunday morning, September 11th, 2016. I'm going to remind you of them now. First, I said that we wanted to be a church that is dedicated to the purity of the gospel. And that was simply something you should know very well by now, and that is that we want to be a church that is dedicated to the truth of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, that we are completely helpless and hopeless, unable to save ourselves, that if not for 
Christ's death on our behalf, his death, burial, and resurrection, we would have no hope at all. So that's what I meant then. What I mean now when I say we wanted to be dedicated to the purity of the gospel. Second, I said that we wanted to be a church that is committed to the authority of the apostles. And I noted when I said at that time that that's kind of a unusual phrase, especially in a church like Cornerstone, and it may still be a little bit confusing to some of you now. But all it means is, you know, uh, well, I'll tell you what, I'll ask you a question and you can probably answer it in your head and you'll know where I'm going with this. Where exactly today do we find the teaching of the apostles? Well, answer, we find it in the New Testament, right? So when you're, I say to you that we want to be committed to the authority of the apostles, what I'm really saying to you in kind of a expanded sort of way is that we want to be faithful to and committed to the scriptures no matter what. Um, and so that's something that, you know, has always been true of Cornerstone. We want to be grounded in God's word. Third, I said we wanted to be a church that proclaims the centrality of Jesus as the fulfillment and unifying theme of God's revelation and God's plan, meaning we want to have a right view of God's word and of God's working in this world, both of which find their center point, their connecting uh, uh, junction in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You cannot, we've said this for years, you cannot understand correctly, either the Old or New Testament, apart from Jesus. And you certainly cannot understand what God is doing in this world apart from Jesus and his death on the cross for us. And so we want to proclaim, proclaim the centrality of Jesus in both of those things. And then finally, I said that we wanted to be a church that has a right understanding of the Christian life and how to live it. We don't want to just have right orthodoxy. We also want to have right orthopraxy. Now, some of you may not be familiar with those two words, so I'll just remind you of what they mean. Orthodoxy means sound doctrine. It means that our beliefs are in line with what the scripture says. We have right beliefs. So if orthodoxy is right beliefs, orthopraxy is right practice. It's that we then take those truths that we say we believe and we go out and we live them the right way. We live our lives in line with our beliefs. And after giving us those four things, uh, I gave us a pop quiz that Sunday. Uh, it was a quiz I think that most of you got correct. If any of you missed it, don't admit it. Uh, but I'm sure now all of you will get it right today. The question was this. I said, which of the New Testament books do you think addresses all four of those points in great detail? And the answer was, Thank you. Okay, if anyone had said like Colossians, I would have been like, really? After all this time? Okay, no, it was Galatians. So that was how we began our very first sermon in Galatians 18 months ago. And now that we're done, I thought it would be helpful if we took a little bit of time today just to review sort of what we learned in each of those categories as we have gone down this journey together. And so I've just been reflecting this week, jotting things down. And I wanted to share a few of them with you that we've seen that stood out to me, at least, over time. And I hope it stood out to you as well. First, let's talk about the purity of the gospel. What have we learned about the purity of the gospel here in Galatians? Well, you know, this is an easy one. In fact, I addressed it last week. What we have seen is that the gospel of grace is the only true gospel. And I hope you recognize that that statement is not just true for the context of the Galatians that they were in 2,000 years ago. I mean, that's true for us today, that around us to this day are many, many, many different false gospels proclaiming to be the true one. And if you're confused about you know, the word gospel here, I would maybe just define it for you this way, gospel being the, the message that says this is how you're made right with God. 
There are people out there who say, this is how you're made right with God. You have to believe this and do this. Or this is how you're made right with God. You have to do this thing over here. There's this, there's that, there's whatever. You don't have to look very hard. You don't have to search very far. You will find many, many different false gospels in the world today. But what we have been reminded of over and over and over again here in Galatians is that the gospel of grace that Paul has proclaimed to us in this letter is the only true gospel. You see, it's an either-or scenario. Either salvation is totally of God's grace, undeserved by us, or it's not. You either did something to deserve it, or you didn't. So he either gives it his grace, or you've earned it in some way. Either God loved you and chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world based on nothing but his own purpose and grace, or he didn't. He looked ahead and said, well, man, he's a great guy. I definitely want him, and she's a, she's a fantastic girl. I want her on my team. And he like, looked at you and said, that, you know, I'll pick him because of this. Or he, he just simply picked you because of his own purpose and grace. This is the nature of the gospel of grace that we preach and depend on. We believe the salvation is by grace alone. Grace alone, start to finish. And Galatians has put that in stark relief for us. And I I hope that that truth, as much as it has been pounded home over the past 18 months, has both comforted you and strengthened your faith. I thought of just two ways. First, you know, if salvation is is based on grace alone, then it reminds us that it doesn't depend on our efforts anymore. You know, this is not the gospel, I've shared this before, this is not the gospel I grew up in. I grew up in a Jesus and gospel where it's Jesus and how good you are on a daily basis. And so, you know, every day you wake up and you're going, I've I've got to believe, but I also have to do all this stuff, but you never could live up to it. And your life is filled constantly with fear and guilt that at any given moment, you know, you're going to die, you killed in a car accident, hit by a meteor, who knows what, and you hadn't done what you needed to do, and all of a sudden you're going to be in hell because you, you didn't live up. The gospel of grace destroys that false gospel. It says the salvation is not based on my goodness, it's based on Jesus's goodness, that God accepts me in Christ because he was righteous enough. Not because I've been able to live up to a standard, I can never live up to a standard. I never will be able to live up to a standard. The gospel of grace puts that to rest forever. Second, I just wrote down something I've said so many times, you're probably sick of hearing it. If salvation is by grace alone, then that means that God chose us and gave his son to die for us when he knew the very worst about us, yet he loved us still. Do you know how comforting that is? To think that there can never be a moment in your life where you can stand before him. God's like, I didn't know, (laughs) like, if I had known you were going to do this or do that or be this or be that, I would have never. No, no, no. The gospel of grace reminds us that, that we've been chosen with God knowing the very worst about us. This is J.I. Packer's quote from Knowing God. He knew the very worst about us and yet loved us still. This is why Paul can say in Romans 8, the passage Matthew read earlier, there's no condemnation now. <laughs> how, can, how, how can you be condemned when the very judge who has forgiven you, knew the very worst about you and loved you still? Who can bring a charge against you now if the judge who has forgiven you knew the very worst about you and loved and forgave you still? That's the gospel of grace that we preach. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, 
in Christ alone. My goodness, how many times have we said that over the past 18 months, those three word or phrases together there? I hope that that sticks in your head, and every time you're talking with someone, you're listening to other people talk about the gospel, or you're hearing someone share their struggles with you, their fears, that the things we've learned in Galatians are burned so deeply into your mind and heart that you have that on your tongue, ready to share them and comfort them, give them the gospel at a moment's notice. Second, let's talk about the authority of the apostles. And what have we learned here? Well, obviously, we've been reminded that their teaching, as recorded in the 27 books of the New Testament, is authoritative, but I don't think we're really struggling with that, so that's not what I'm going to focus on. I think that for me, I appreciated watching how Paul defended his authority and his gospel in this letter. Um, I hope you recognize that there is a right way to fight for the faith. There's a right way and a right time to fight for the faith. As I look around at Christianity today, and this is just my observation, it may not be your experience, so you may not get this exactly, but what I see, I see a lot of people in American Christianity who seem very unwilling, even antagonistic to the idea of fighting for just about anything connected to Scripture. <laughs> I mean, like just the whole idea of fighting over, over Scripture to them is so distasteful that they would view the whole act as unloving and unchristian in and of itself. And I'm guessing there are different reasons for why they approach it like that. I'm sure for some, it's probably a, an overreaction to some failures of Christianity, American Christianity in the past, where people were willing to fight over everything. You know, it didn't matter how big or small the issue was, they'd go to war over it. Um, and so I'm sure some have just kind of swung the pendulum too far. Others, no doubt, are influenced by our culture that says all truth is equal, your truth is as good as mine, and they're not going to really worry too much about what you believe versus what the Bible actually says. But I I would remind us from Galatians that there are some doctrines that are worth fighting over. I mean, really fighting over. You know, the gospel is worth fighting over. And you've seen that on display here. And Paul has been very sharp, very hard on these false teachers, very hard on the Galatians who are considering going down this path. He has not pulled a punch from them because he's dealing with something that is life or death. And so it's worth fighting over. The, the truths around Jesus are worth fighting over. If he is not God, if he is not who he says he is, then we are all of us lost. The scriptures are worth fighting over their inspiration, their authority, their sufficiency. Look, there are things out there that are worth fighting over in our faith. And it takes some discernment, something that is unfortunately sorely lacking in the church today. It takes some discernment to know when you should fight and when you shouldn't. And so I was trying to think about it from, you know, looking at Galatians and what we've learned over the past 18 months. How would I help us with this point? And so I, I've kind of divided things that you might fight over into two categories, okay? You might not find this helpful, and that's okay. I just was trying to do something to, to put some structure around it. So here's your two categories. First, when it's a matter of eternal life and death, heaven and hell, it's a doctrine worth fighting over. Okay? Got it? If, it's, if we're talking that hell is on the line, if someone is taken down a path that's going to lead them away from Christ, that's something that, yeah, you better fight for it. You better go in, guns a-blazing, fists up, ready to do battle royal for that truth. The souls of the people that you know and love are on the line. Don't pull back. But if it's not a matter 
And we've seen that, of course, in that first point. We've seen that here in Galatians. If it's not, though, a matter of eternal life and death, then I think there are at least four things we should weigh very carefully to help us have the right approach. And again, I think we've kind of seen some of this in the letter to the Galatians. Number one, we better make sure we understand the nature of the disagreement before we go in guns a-blazing. A lot of people, you know, in Christianity, this is, uh, shoot first and ask questions later. <laughs> That's not a right approach if it's not a matter of eternal life and death. You better make sure you understand. Just make sure you know what's going on, that you're not confused, misled, you haven't heard wrong. A lot of things would be avoided if we just took a little time and were a little slower to speak. Number two, we should take into account its effect on the church. You know, you see that in, in Galatians 2. You know, Peter doesn't deny the gospel in his words, his teaching, but when those Jews come to town, he pulls back away. He doesn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. That has an effect on the church. Others begin to pull away as well. So what does Paul do? He addresses it, right? He, he, he steps in. He begins to confront Peter publicly. And there's a place for that. When you see something's having an effect on the church, that's something you might have to, to handle in a stronger way. Number three, uh, you have to take into account the, the item, the disagreements, clarity in Scripture. Some things are black and white clear, and some things are gray. I've got questions that I wish the Scriptures answered that they just don't. And whenever I run into a question like that where I wish it gave me a clear yes or no kind of answer, but it doesn't, I have to fall back on my belief in the sufficiency of Scripture and say, okay, God, if I needed to know this, you would have answered it for me. But apparently I don't need to know it. I want to know it, but I don't need to know it. And that gives you a little humility. Just to step back and say, I, I can't answer this 100% black and, you know, for sure. It's not 100% black and white. So make sure you understand the thing's clarity in Scripture. And then fourth and finally, make sure you recognize your heart behind it and the manner in which you address it. You know, for some people, they can't, uh, the competitive folks in this room, I won't name your names, though I could name a couple of you. Um, you know, there's some people, they only care about winning. That's it. So it doesn't matter if it's Yahtzee, that's my wife. If it's Yahtzee, she's not here to defend herself. Uh, I call her the Yahtzee Nazi. She's uh, very competitive. It doesn't matter if it's Yahtzee or if it's, you know, doctrine. They just want to win, right? Like, that, that's, that's not her. That's, they just want to win. You better understand that when you're in this kind of scenario, the goal is not simply to win or to prove the other person wrong. The goal is to restore and save someone's soul, potentially. Don't go into it with a pugnacious spirit in that moment. You go into it with a, a gentle spirit, things, again, we've seen here in Galatians. So there is a right time to fight. There is a right way to fight, and we need the discernment to know the difference between the two. Third, let's talk about the centrality of Jesus. What have we learned here? Whew, a million things, but I'll pick two only. First of all, we've been reminded of something we knew anyway, and that is that Jesus is the overarching theme of the Scriptures. We have seen that on display here in Galatians so well. I mean, my goodness, I would say, this is me speaking very personally for the moment, I would say that I feel like studying Galatians has helped me understand the Old Testament better than anything I've ever studied before. And I'm not exaggerating. It's not hyperbole at all. I mean, I mean that with 100% truth. I, I feel like I have learned more about the Old Testament from Galatians. Because, you know, when I grew up, was growing up, the churches I grew up in would teach that the church is a parenthesis in God's plan. So God's got a plan. Oh, wait, pause the plan. Here's the church. Okay, restart the plan. We'll finish what I originally started to do. 
I don't see that in Galatians. What I see actually is that the plan all along was Jesus. That was the plan. There's no parenthesis here. That was the plan. He, he had much time. Remember, how much time did he spend talking about Abraham? Abraham was a man of faith. Abraham is the man that God chooses, and he gives these great promises to him, and he give you an offspring. I'm going to bless the entire world through you. Well, who was that offspring? It was Jesus. And, and those then who place their faith in Christ are children of faith, children of Abraham, adopted as sons of God. Jesus is the plan. It's not a parenthesis versus not a parenthesis. It's a completely different way of looking at the Old Testament. Jesus is the fulfillment, and we get to be the fulfillment in him. You can now call out to the Father and say, Abba, Daddy. What, what a truth. Second, we, we've seen the centrality of Jesus as the one in whom we all now live. I'm talking about our union with Christ, the song we sang, No Longer I, but... Christ in me, the, the whole reason, and you, this might not be a good reason, but everybody's got to have a reason for the things they do. The whole reason I wanted to, to preach through Galatians was because of Galatians 2.20. Okay, that's the honest truth. For the last three or four years, God has been opening my eyes bit by bit, slowly, to the truth that I have to die and that Christ has to live in me if I'm going to see any change in life. And, and I would love to say to you that, I, man, I really understand that today. I don't. I feel like I'm just like scratching the surface of that. Like there's so much more depth here that I haven't even begun to, to understand, but I'm just recognizing it more and more and more. And, and Paul's words there in chapter 2, verse 20, have, have just been burned into my soul that I am crucified with Christ. Stacy has died. And it's not I now who live, it's Christ who lives in me so that the life I now live in the flesh is actually have to be lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Like, I've said this, you're probably sick of me saying it, but too bad. I, I don't need to be helped. I don't need to be changed. I need to die. I need to die. And I need Jesus then to live his resurrected life through me and empower things that I would never be able to do. There is nothing good in my flesh, nothing. And there never will be. But to the extent Jesus, through his spirit, lives his life in us, we begin to look like Christ, sound like Christ, talk like Christ, act like Christ, live like Christ. As he, through his spirit, lives. And you say, that's not clear I'm, again, I'm recognizing I can't even myself plumb the depths of that thought yet. But I'm recognizing more and more this is, this is the Christian life. This is our hope that we die and Christ lives in and through us until we see him face to face. And then finally... Let's talk about a right way of, of viewing the Christian life and then of going out and living it. You know, what have we learned here? Well, we've been reminded, I mean, boy, have we been reminded that the Christian life is not to be lived through law. Now, I know as I say that, for those of you who have been with us in the study of Galatians here, you instantly are thinking Old Testament law, and that's fine, okay? We, we definitely are not supposed to be living our life by the Old Testament law either. That is true. 
But I've also become more and more sensitive along the way to this idea that, you know, for most of us, I don't think living by the Old Testament law is really the concern. But most of us in here probably live by some kind of self-made Christian law that has been built into us either by our parents or our churches or our own selves. Good Christians do this. Good Christians don't do that. So as long as I do these things and don't do these things, I'm a good Christian. You recognize that that's effectively a Christian law. Now, there's a place for that kind of thinking. I'm not saying there's not. But as you look at the, the letter to the Galatians, what is it that Paul gives us as being our source of morality and ethics on a daily basis? Is it a new law? Is it a, a Christian law, a Christ law? No, he, he tells us, go walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Live your everyday, normal life by the Spirit. I hope you recognize that's what the word walk means now. I hope that's also burned into your head. It just from the moment you wake up in the morning until the moment you go to bed at night, live your life dependent on the Spirit. And, you know, for most of us, well, maybe not for most of us, but for most American Christians, I would say, when they hear that kind of terminology, the sentence and the statements I'm making here, they instantly will think of big things, right? Like, you know, like, Life in the Spirit is going to be these big, spectacular, flashy kind of moments and experiences, etc. But as I have said over and over, and I say again today, I don't see that in the Scriptures, and I don't understand that to be the normal means of what Paul is saying here, because as he talks about living your normal, everyday life in the Spirit, it occurs to me that for every one big, genuine thing that the Spirit may do in this world, as I said over and over again, there must be millions upon millions of mundane unnoticed, unthanked things the Spirit does in our lives that we, we pay no attention to. Every time you've said no to sin, every time you showed love to an unlovable person, I can get the word out, every time you've been gracious and kind and gentle, merciful, were those not the works of the Spirit? Did you even think about it? Did you even thank God for those little things, or did they just fly by and you somehow gave yourself credit? I promise you, there in your flesh dwells no good thing. In your flesh dwells no good thing. So if you have seen any victory over sin, if you've seen any kindness and love and gentleness and forgiveness and mercy coming out of you, you have been watching the Spirit at work all along. Did you even acknowledge it? I said it many, many times. I'll say it one more time today. Do not despise the small things of God in your life. Don't ignore them. Don't despise them. For every one of the big things that the Spirit may do, there must be millions of little things happening all around us in the church that nobody even talks about or recognizes. And so I am glad we studied this book together. And I do hope it's been a blessing to you. It's been a blessing to me along the way. You know, we need these reminders, and we always will. And as we are, find ourselves now on the brink of another transition, right, another phase of new ministry coming, I would remind us that our need to be committed to these four things is the same. And it always will be. It doesn't matter what's happening in our lives as a church or individuals or family. Our need to be committed to these things is the same. And it's fitting that, in light of all the things we've seen, that we end our time together today and in this book by observing the Lord's table together. Um, 
Because in this ritual that Jesus left for us to follow, we see all four of the things I just walked through in very clear and tangible detail. For example, think about the dedication to the purity of the gospel. As you get up in a moment and you walk back to the tables and you partake of of the Lord's table together, what you need to be having on your mind at that moment is the grace of God. Because nobody who gets up and goes to those tables does so because they're worthy. If you think you're worthy to partake, you should probably stay in your seat. The fact of the matter is, is we're unworthy. And that's the beauty of it, that Jesus welcomes us in our unworthiness to partake with him. That he extends that offer of grace to us to come when we we can't come on our own. And so as you go back there, remember the grace of God that's been shown to you to even bring you to this point of life. Thank him for that. If he brings sin to mind, confess it, repent of it, but, but be thanking God for the grace that has been given to you that lets you even partake at his table. Think about the commitment to the authority of the scriptures. Why, you know, why do we do this? Because we've been commanded to. And so even this act is an act of obedience, even a work of the spirit within the church as a whole that we follow and obey what he's given us, a, a focus on the centrality of Jesus. That's easy here, right? Because as you take the bread and you crush it between your teeth, you are supposed to be reminded in a tangible way that the body of Jesus Christ was crushed for you, that all of the sin that should have rested on you was placed on him and he bore it for you. He became the curse so that you could be set free. And as you drink the cup, remember it is his blood that begins the new covenant, that opens up the new era of salvation, this era of faith that Paul is fighting for in this letter. It's because his blood was shed that you and I are now made right with God, one with Christ, calling him Abba. All of that happens on the cross. Don't forget that. And then fourth, the right understanding of the Christian life and how we go about living it. You know, some people ask me sometimes, why do we, you know, get up and do the thing in the back. Like, why don't we just pass plates like every other church does? And okay, it's fair. There's not a single way given, but I'll tell you what, why we do it here. It's because this whole thing that Jesus has left us is tangible in nature, right? It's bread you touch. It's, it's a cup you drink. And that's good and helpful because we're tangible people. Sometimes we need illustrations and things to help us process truth. Well, when you have to get up and walk back, it reminds you that the truths you now know and believe have to take feet sometimes, not sometimes, all the time, right? You have to get up and go. You have to get up and live it. You have to get up and do something with it. You can't just be hearers of the word. You, you have to be doers also. And so it's just a tangible reminder. That's it. Just a reminder that you've got to take the truths you know now and go and live them when you walk out of here today. If you're visiting with us this morning, please know that communion, the Lord's table, it's one of only two rituals the Lord left us. It is a solemn moment in the life of the church. And so we do take this very seriously. It does not improve our standing before God. Uh, You're not going to be more spiritual because you do this, less spiritual if you don't. No one's getting saved through it. So there's no sense in which this helps us with salvation. This ritual is for disciples of Jesus only. So parents, if you're here today and you've got your kids in the room and they're not believers yet, it's not for them, okay? Help them with that. Teach them, let them wait. Or if you're here today and you're not a believer in Christ, please stay in your seat. This is not for you. No one's going to think it's weird that you're sitting there. This is for believers only. But if you are a believer and you're here with us today, we welcome you to join with us as we obey Christ and remember and proclaim his death until he comes again. Now, here's your instructions, all right? Listen very carefully. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. As soon as I'm done praying, I'm going to say amen. You're going to stand up. 
Okay, everyone's going to stand up, and you're going to go around the outside edges of the room to two tables in the back. There will be two people at each table. And we're going to have you come through in groups of about six to eight. They'll direct you, okay? They're going to hand you the bread. They're going to hand you the cup. And they're going to lead you right there at the table in communion. You're going to eat and drink. You're going to throw your trash away in the little basket. And then you will come sit down, and you're just going to wait quietly and reverently. You can sing. We'll be singing a song until everybody else is finished, and then Jordan will dismiss us at the end. So everybody understand the plan? Go around the outside edges to the table, and they will direct you to come in when the moment comes. I'm so thankful we've been able to study this letter together. I do hope it's blessed you. Why don't we go to the Lord now in prayer, thanking him for our time in Galatians and for our time now around his table. Jesus, thank you so much for all that we have been given as we have studied these past 18 months in the letter to the Galatians. It has it has changed us. It has challenged us. It has convicted us. And we're not the same. And we didn't want to be the same. We wanted to be different. And so you have worked in us. That is the work of the Spirit to change us, to make us more like you through the study of your word. We know that never returns void. And so I pray that the truths we have seen here over these past 18 months will be forever blazing on our hearts, that we will be committed to protecting the gospel, that we will fight for the things that are worth fighting for, that we will go out and live in such a way that pleases you, that Jesus will be central to everything we believe and do. Please, Lord, don't let us forget these truths. And as we now get ready to gather around your table, I pray that even this act, this tangible reminder that you have given us will will have a significance and meaning that is new and fresh because of our study of Galatians. Help us to, to recognize our unworthiness to gather, yet your gracious, loving offer to come, to partake with you. I pray that we will be reminded of your death, of your sacrifice, that our standing before the Father is because of your blood. I pray, Lord, that all of these things then will not just stay in this room, but will follow us out today, throughout this week as we live for you. Make us different because of the things we've seen this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more sermons on the book of Galatians and further information on Cornerstone Bible Church, please visit cbcvirginia.com.